0: If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 as we continue this Lord's day to walk through the book of Galatians together. Today we find ourselves in verses 7 through 12. If you've been with us, you know that we're now at a point in Paul's letter to the Galatians where uh, he is telling them about how they have been freed from the burden of the law. Uh, they've been freed from this weight that the Judaizers were seeking to put on them, this this thought that you could be saved through your performance, but they haven't been freed from obedience. And so what Paul is now unpacking is that when when Christ frees us from the burden of the law, He frees us so that we can obey Him. uh, So that we can be free from sin and walk in obedience. And so that's what we'll be looking at as we look at this passage today, Galatians 5, verses 7-12. through And at a reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you go ahead and stand together as I read this text for us. And this is what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. If you would, pray with me. Father, I pray as we continue to look at this letter that you would help us to see how it relates to us today. Lord, I pray that the Gospel would be clear today. And Lord, I pray specifically for those who perhaps up until this point there's been some barrier there that keeps them from seeing the glorious truth of the Gospel. I pray, God, that You would remove those barriers that they might clearly see and respond to the truth of Your Word, that we all might respond in repentance and faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you are familiar with the name Louis Zamperini. Uh, There was a movie that came out just a few years ago uh, on his life. It was based on a book that was written on his life called Unbroken. In fact, there was a sequel that came out this year to that book, and it tells the story of Zamperini's life, how he uh, grew up a rather troubled child and uh, then became a a very good athlete, became an Olympic runner. Uh, He fought in World War II. He was actually a prisoner of war in a Japanese imprisonment camp that survived just horrendous... Uh, circumstances, and, and went on to become a believer, to share the gospel with many, lived a very long life. He passed away not that long ago in his late 90s. But what that movie and what that book really unpack is that Zamperini started out kind of the wrong track. He was somewhat of a juvenile delinquent, but, but he got uh, very involved when he was in high school in running. And in fact, he became one of the fastest runners that had ever been there on his high school's team. Uh, Eventually, he went on to be a runner for USC and was one of the fastest athletes they'd ever had. In fact, many felt that he would be the first collegiate athlete to break the four-minute mile. Now, people have done that now, a number of people have, but at that point, in 1938, no collegiate athlete had ever run a four-minute mile. And so when it came to the 1938 NCAA championship for runners, the the one-mile event, all eyes were on Zamperini. Everyone thought he would be the one who would break the four-minute mile. The race began, the race finished, and he did not break four minutes. And it wasn't because of his conditioning. He was in the best shape of his life. It wasn't because he didn't take the event seriously. He ran as hard as he could. What kept him from breaking the four-minute mile in 1938 was the other runners. See, Zamperini was so good that other coaches had actually instructed their runners to sharpen the spikes on their shoes and to keep him from running fast at all costs. And so after he got off to a good start, a number of runners kind of huddled up around him and trapped him in. Several began to stomp on his feet, one impaling his foot with their spike. Others began to jab at him in the side. He actually finished the race with a broken rib. Their cleats began to cut His legs, he was bleeding from the legs when he crossed the finish line. He would have run a great race. He would have likely broken that four-minute mile, but something hindered him. Something kept him from running the race as he wanted to run the race. As Paul writes to the Galatians, he is using this picture of a runner. And he is saying to them, you were running the race very well. You were off to a great start. But something now is hindering you. Something is surrounding you. Something is keeping you from running this race in the way you need to run it. And that something is the false teaching of the Judaizers. And so as Paul addresses them and continues to address this issue of what it means to walk by faith, he uses this picture of running, which brings us there to your outline. It starts with point one, this reminder that the Christian life for us is a race. The Christian life is a race. Paul says, you were running well. He uses this illustration of running throughout his writings. In Galatians chapter 2, just a couple of chapters before this, Paul talks about if he was preaching a false gospel, he would have been running the race in vain. When he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so Paul often uses this picture of a runner running a race to illustrate what it means for a Christian to go through the Christian life. In fact, here he says to the Galatians, you were running well. He's speaking here of the past tense. He's saying that when you started this race, when I was there with you in Galatia, when I preached the gospel and you responded to it, man, you you took off from the starting line really well. You were running at a great pace. But now something is hindering you. Something is stopping you from running this race like you need to. And in this case, it was the Judaizers. These were the false teachers who had come into Galatia after Paul had left. These were the teachers who had come in and told the Galatians that unless you adhere to the old covenant law, things like circumcision, you can't actually be saved. These are the people who taught them that salvation comes by works instead of the genuine gospel that Paul taught, that salvation comes by faith. And so Paul says, listen, the bad news is you're not running like you're supposed to. You're not running well. But the good news is the race isn't over yet. You can still shake them off and you can still run this race. And friends, that is a picture for us today of the Christian life. You see, the Christian life begins at conversion. The Christian life begins, we get to that starting line, we we take off that moment that we respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. When we come to understand that we indeed are sinners, when we understand that the wages of sin is death, When we understand that God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's when we start the race. But unfortunately, we live in a confusing day. We live in a time when many people think they're running the race just because they show up to church, and yet they've never actually been converted. I was thinking about this just a couple weeks ago. Um, I was describing to someone this week, we had someone coming to the church who was working our dishwasher in the kitchen. They'd never been to Bloomfield. They were asking all these questions. One of their questions was, so you guys don't even have a stoplight here. I said, well, we have one. It's just outside of town. And so we, we've got our stoplight. Well, the other day, uh, Sandy and I were at the stoplight, and, you know, we're sitting there. The light turns green. Uh, the first car goes. The second car goes. The third car just sits there. And we're the fourth car. We're behind this car. And so You know how people are today, they're getting out their phones, they're getting distracted, so I kind of hit the horn a couple of times, car doesn't move. Hit the horn a couple more times, car doesn't move. With this point, everybody behind me is starting to pull out, they're just going to pass us, so I I start to pass the fellow and I look over, and and here's a guy at the steering wheel, his hands are on the wheel, he's in a car, the car's running, and he's like this. He was asleep, by the way, so... That was my first thought. The kids were like, oh my gosh, he's dead. I was like, no, he's probably just sleeping. So he's laying, and this guy's just passed out at the wheel. He is asleep as asleep can be. So people are passing by him. They're honking. The kids are like, oh my gosh, he's dead. I'm like, no, he's just sleeping. And then we get, you know, I get further down where I can still see in the rearview mirror. Suddenly I see the car kind of jolt and start moving. So thankfully he was just asleep. But, but what was that? Here, here's a guy sitting at a car. The car's running. His hand's on the wheel. But he's not going to go anywhere. Why? Because he is dead asleep. And if he doesn't wake up, he's never going to go anywhere. There are so many people in the church today who are in the church, and they're sitting there, and they are asleep. Now, some of you really are asleep, but, but others, you're sitting there, your eyes are open, you're nodding your head, you're singing the songs. But spiritually, you are dead. And something needs to wake you up. Just like that guy woke up. If you're ever going to go anywhere, friend, you're not in the race if you've never placed your trust in Christ. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, when you are then converted, God brings us to life. Now we are running the race. And the race looks different for all of us. That there are different courses. There are different obstacles. For some, the race will be long. It will be decades. For others, it will be much shorter than that. But we all run towards the finish line. And the finish line is that day when we meet Jesus face to face. Whether He takes us home to Him, or He returns for us. That's the finish line. It's what James calls the the crown of life. That's what we run towards. And so this picture that Paul is giving us here of the Christian life it is a picture of a race. And that race starts when we place our trust in Christ. So how do we then run the race? Well, that leads us to that next point, in your outline, point two. We run the race through obedience to the truth. We run the race through obedience to the truth. Verse 7, Paul says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So Paul here equates... Running to obedience. He he says, you were running really well. Somebody stopped you. What did they stop you? What did they hinder you from doing? They hindered you from obeying the truth. Paul says, to run well is to obey the truth. Now, obedience is what God calls us to once we're saved. But obedience doesn't save us. Now hear that. We can try to work and earn our righteousness through our obedience. We can try to obey the Bible and what the Bible says. But if we do that without placing our trust in Jesus Christ, that's what Paul says is a race run in vain. But once we put our trust in Jesus, then we are free to obey Christ. Then that is an obedience that flows out of our salvation. He says, who hindered you from obeying this Truth. What is the truth he's speaking of? It's the gospel truth. It's how Paul refers to it in Galatians two: the truth of the gospel. And so Christ has freed us to obey the truth of the gospel. So what does that look like practically? Well, practically it looks like this: it starts with looking to Jesus. We set our gaze and our focus on Christ. So what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do in Hebrews chapter twelve where he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. If you've read Hebrews, you know chapter 11 is filled with the, the hall of faith and all those who walk by faith. He says, in light of all these testimonies, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We look to Jesus. So so, how do we do that? How, how do we look to Jesus? We have kind of this question, this trend in the Christian subculture that's been going around for a couple of decades. You'll see people have bracelets, bumper stickers. They'll say, what would Jesus do? And the thought behind that is to kind of ask this question as you go through life and as you face different things. Well, what would Jesus do here? I should do what Jesus would do. That's, that's fine. That's a fine question to ask. But fundamentally, the question we need to ask is, What did Jesus do? See, Jesus isn't some figurative person that we have to imagine how he might respond in different situations. Jesus Christ is recorded in the Scriptures. We can see exactly what Jesus did, who Jesus is. And we should fix our gaze on him by looking to to what did he do. And not only that, what did he say? See, we run this race by looking to Jesus. We also run it by listening to Jesus. Think about the words of the Father at the transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17. As Jesus was speaking, the text says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Friend, are, are you listening to Jesus today? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you're walking out in the woods and you're saying, God, to speak to me right now. No, I'm talking about going to the Word. Are you listening to what Jesus says in His Word to you? Yeah, I think for many of us, when we start thinking about this relationship with Jesus, we, we don't think so much about looking to Jesus and listening to Jesus as we think about loving Jesus. So that's, that's the phrase you hear. Why well, I just love Jesus, you know. Start to invite somebody to church. Well, hey, would you need to go to church? Well, I don't really go to church anywhere. But man, I just, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Me and Jesus, we're good. Well, I think that gives us an excellent opportunity to look at what, what does the Scripture say about loving Jesus? John chapter 14, this is what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, so Jesus says, if, if you truly love me, you, you will look to me, you will listen to me, and you will obey me. That is the fruit of loving Jesus. Loving Jesus is not some emotional ooey-gooey, well, I just have this feeling. No, loving Jesus is a result, it's the fruition, really, of being in a relationship with Christ, a redemptive relationship through which, because He has saved us, we are now obedient to His Word. That's how we show our love for Jesus. It means we repent. Friend, when is the last time you repented of something? We tend to talk about the Gospel sometimes in these general terms, but just look at your life right now. What is the last time you can remember going before the Father and saying, Father, I I repent. I want to turn from this sin in my life. When's the last time you turned to another person and said, I I need to repent. I need to ask your forgiveness. What I did was sin. It was wrong. And I'm repenting. I'm turning from that sin right now. I'm not asking when's the last time you felt bad about something? And when's the last time you actually repented? Jesus says that if we love Him, then we will repent, we will run from sin, and we will run to the cross. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. And by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Think about that for a minute. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who said to you, oh, I'm a Christian. I I love Jesus. But there was absolutely no fruit of the Gospel in their life at all. No no desire to read God's Word. No pattern of fellowshipping with God's people. No no obedience in their life to the Word. But they're quick to say, oh, no, no, but I I love Jesus. And this is how we know. By this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Friends, we need to be a church who will go to a lost and dying world and will graciously and lovingly tell them the truth. That if you say that you know Christ, but your life reflects nothing of it, friend, you are deceived. You don't know Him. Because if you know Him, He changes you. Christ is not content to leave you and I as we are. He changes us. He transforms us. He calls us to holiness. It is a lifelong race. It is a long path. There are many ups and downs. But if there is no change in your life, no tangible difference in your life today from the the first day you came to faith, then the question is, do you really know Him? Does He really know you? The Christian life is a race, friend. How are you running today? Are you struggling? Are you sprinting? (laughs) Do you feel like people are just kind of gathering around you and stomping on your feet? elbowing you in the side, you feel like the world's just knocking you down over and over and over again? Or maybe you feel weighted, you feel burdened by sin. Now, that's what the writer of Hebrews says really keeps us from running the race. He says, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely. For nothing will weigh you down more than unconfessed sin." and just living in sin and not repenting of sin, it will hinder you greatly in this race. The Galatians were running well. They were obeying the truth. But as soon as they stopped obeying the truth, Paul says something has hindered you. And in their case, that something was false teaching. Which brings us to point three. False teachers distort the truth and contaminate the church. So the Galatians were running well. But what was hindering them was false teaching. That this false teaching from these false teachers, he says, verse 8, their persuasion is not from him who calls you. And so Paul's saying they're, they're very persuasive, that <laughs> they've got great arguments for what they believe, but they are arguing you away from God. In fact, Paul says it very clearly they're not from God. I think one of the problems we have in the Christian faith today is we're just not willing to make that statement as often as we need to. We live in a confused culture, a confused age, and so anybody who says the name of Jesus, we just assume they're on the same team as us, and friends, they're not. Just because their books are in a Christian bookstore doesn't mean they're from Christ. Just because their sermons are on TV, just because they're a bestseller, just because they're on the evening news, that doesn't mean they truly know Christ as Lord. Jesus speaks to this. He says, there are people who will call me Lord. There are people who will do miraculous things in my name who are not from me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Paul's drawing a... A line in the sand here. He's saying, listen, if you preach a false gospel, if you start to mess with the gospel at all, you're not on our team. You're not on God's side. And notice what he says in verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It doesn't take much. Just a little bit is all it takes and the whole thing's bad. You throw the dough out and you start over. He's saying in the Christian faith, if we distort the Gospel just a little bit, friends, then it's not Gospel anymore. This is what false teachers so often do. They will add to the Bible. Be weary of someone who says to you, well, you know it says somewhere in the Bible. (laughs) Well, where does it say that? Or they will take away from the deity of Christ. That they will take away from the Trinity and who the Father, Son, and Spirit are. That they will often multiply the requirements for salvation and add works in there. They will bring great division in your life. This is what false teachers do. That's why Jesus, in comparing that false teaching to leaven as well, says in Matthew 16, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Friends, we need to test what people teach us with the Word. You need to test what I teach you from the Word. We need to be a church of Bereans. That's what the Bereans did. That they went back and they searched the Word to see was what we were just taught. Is that what the Word says? Otherwise, we are easily misled. Paul continues there in verse 10 to say, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view that the... One who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul here has this confidence, and I'm not sure why, because as you walk through this letter with me, you can see here, Paul's very disturbed by the Galatians. He's very concerned by this false teaching they're listening to. And now he's saying, but listen, I've got confidence that you're going to run the race. Why would Paul have that confidence? Because, friends, in the Christian life, our power comes from the Holy Spirit, not from our flesh. And Paul is saying here, I have confidence if you are, if you are truly saved, if you are truly redeemed, then, friend, you're, you're going to finish this race. You're going to cross that finish line at some point. Paul is saying, I have confidence that you're going to return to the truth if you are truly Christ. Friends, that's a good word for us today. Because sometimes you get tired of running. Sometimes this race will wear you out. Sometimes you will feel like Louis Zamperini, like someone is stepping on your feet and cracking your ribs and shredding your legs and you can't go another step. The Christian life is hard. But if you truly belong to Jesus Christ... The good news is this. You will finish the race. <laughs> you will persevere till the end. That's why Jesus says, those who endure to the end, those who persevere to the end will be saved. He's not saying, well, if you, can just, if you can just grab up yourself and just make it across that finish line, then I'll save you. He's saying, no, if I've saved you, I'm going to carry you through till the end. Those who are saved will persevere. Therefore, run with endurance. And as you're running, look around and see what it is that is hindering you. Is it sin? Then repent. Is it false teaching? False belief? Then you cast it off. Have nothing to do with it. That brings us to our final point, point four. We see here that we must purge the church of false teaching in order to finish the race well. See, there's one thought that, well, if people are teaching the wrong thing, let's just just let them do their thing. God's going to deal with them in the end. God's going to sort it all out. But that's not what the Gospels instruct us to do. The Gospels call us to judge one another. The Gospels call us to hold people to the test. Is this Gospel or is this not? And if it's not, the Gospel calls us to deal with that and remove that false teaching. Get it off the course before it trips up anybody else. Paul says here in verse 11, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, again, that's the old covenant issue that's being brought up here, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now the language here is a bit tricky, but I'll just kind of boil it all down to what I think Paul's communicating here. He's saying, I'm not preaching circumcision, I'm preaching the cross. I'm not preaching salvation by works, I'm preaching salvation by faith. And if you preach salvation by faith, that's going to upset the people who preach salvation by works. And they're going to persecute you for this. But you stand firm and you hold to the cross. Paul here doesn't say, let's just ignore those who preach anything else. He, he uses some of the most intense language in this next verse that he uses anywhere in all of his letters. It says, verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I don't think you need me to give you great word study on that to get where Paul's going. He, he is essentially saying, well, they're telling you to do this, just, they ought to be done. He's essentially saying, I just want them removed. I want them out of the way. I don't want them on the course. I don't want them hindering you. I don't want them confusing you. I don't want them corrupting you. I want them gone. We need to purge them from your midst. John Stott argues that this is a wish born not of thirst for revenge, but out of a deep love for the church. He says it this way, I venture to say that if we were as concerned for God's church and God's Word as Paul was, we too would wish that false teachers would cease from the land. Friends, there are so many out there today who are teaching such garbage. It should sicken us. and We should desire for the genuine Gospel to be taught. The intense language here reminds us that doctrine matters, and getting the Gospel right matters. And so, all other things pushed to the side, friend. Have you gotten the Gospel right? Is your trust today in Christ and in Christ alone? Or are you clinging to the cross? Is your gaze set on Jesus? And if it's anywhere else, then the Word of God calls us today, repent and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And through Christ you will endure. And through Christ you will finish the race. And through Christ you will run. And you will run well. In 1938, Louis Zamperini did not break the four minute mile, but he came really close. Despite people stepping on his feet, elbowing in the side and breaking his ribs, cutting his legs, he still sat. A collegiate record that day, and ran a mile in just over four minutes. His record went on to stand for 15 years. And when asked how he did it in the midst of such obstacles, he said, "This I kept my eyes on the finish line." Friend, that is our call today. Whatever life has put in front of you, what whatever obstacle you are facing. Your call and my call today is to keep our focus on the finish line, to keep our focus on Christ. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter, of our faith. Are you looking to Jesus today? Or are you trusting in Jesus today? Are you obeying Jesus today? And if not, the call to you and the call to me is to lay aside sin, lay aside false teaching, lay aside our trust in the flesh, and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. If you would stand with me as I pray for us to that end. Father, I do pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work among us. I am aware that I could enter this pulpit Sunday after Sunday for the rest of my life, but my words will change no one's heart. Your word, however, will. Your word has, your word will, your word does, and so I pray it would do that work now. Lord, you have called us to run the race with endurance, with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so for anyone who's doing anything other than that, Lord, I pray for them today that they would repent and that they would trust in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that we can look to Jesus and we can listen to Jesus and we can truly love Jesus through obedience to his word. I thank you, Lord, that through your strength and not ours, one day we will cross that finish line. And so, Lord, whatever days we have left between this day in the day of Christ's return or the day when you take us home, Lord, would you help us to walk by faith and obedience? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.